Well, good morning again. <laughs> don't worry, we don't have 45 more minutes of announcements. Um, turn, with me, turn with me, if you would, in your Bible to the book of James. That's what we'll be uh, studying this morning. If I had a title for my message, if I had to make one up on the spot right now, I would call it Christian Housekeeping. Why Christian Housekeeping? Well, because we need to set some things in order. So let's look at and see what uh, James has for us this morning. Remember, James is a very practical book, very practical lessons. We've looked at some very good things over the last couple weeks. We've looked at the challenge of, uh, of keeping our tongues in check, right, and keeping those in order. We've learned about letting our faith be known through our works and our actions. And this morning is kind of a continuation along the same, along the same theme. And it's also written to us, to believers, to remind us of the things we need to keep in order. So with that, let's turn to James chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 13, and I'll read the whole passage through verse 18, and I believe you can follow along on the screens. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So there's two, uh, two di uh, opposite and opposing sides on this thing. We have wisdom that's from above, that's from God, and we have an earthly wisdom. So let's explore um, those topics today. First off, let's ask the question, what is wisdom? We know a lot about what knowledge is. Knowledge is knowing things, but what is wisdom? Well, actually, from the very first sermon in the book of James, John Moger actually defined wisdom as the practical application of God's Word. Wisdom is the practical application of God's Word. Now, that's not earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom is not the practical application of God's Word. So what we're talking about today is spiritual wisdom, and so I'll try to distinguish between the two by saying spiritual wisdom and earthly wisdom, because there's a very real distinction that we're going to be looking at today. So if we look at verse 13, what is the result of wisdom? Well, it says, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So right here, we're continuing with the theme of James. Wisdom isn't just something that you have. It's something that's shown, that's done by good conduct. And that's why we're calling today Christian housekeeping, is because if someone says, yes, I know how to keep house, well, what do you do? You look at their house. You see, you go in and you say, well, is it in order or is it, is it a mess? And so that's what we're looking at today in terms of wisdom. Wisdom, if someone knows truly what the Word of God is and does it, the practical application of God's Word, 
then their life will be in order. It also says in this verse that the works that we do from the spiritual, from the spiritual wisdom that we receive are done in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom is not proud or puffed up, and we'll be looking at that a little bit more later. But what's the contrast? Well, if we go into verse 14, it says, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. See, there's a competing wisdom that's earthly wisdom that wars against the spiritual wisdom. And there's three words that are used to describe it. What are these words? Well, the first one is earthly. It's of this world. It's not of God, but it's passed on from everyone that's around us and from the, the system of peer pressure that we're in. It's sensual. Usually when we talk about sensual things, we use the word a lot to, to describe things that are um, more erotic in nature. But in this, um, in this particular application, it's talking about something that's of the senses, something that you can taste or touch or see or feel. In other words, it's of this, this plane of existence. It's not spiritual. It's, complete, um, it's completely and utterly opposite to those things that are spiritual. This, this microphone isn't spiritual. I can, I can see it. I can touch it. That's not a spiritual thing. But spiritualism, of course, as we're talking about, is. So that's what's in competition. And then it says also it's demonic. Pretty scary. Something that's of the devil or of the demons. So, the competing wisdom that the world wants us to live by that draws us down into chaos is not of God at all. And it's, it's something like, because it's so earth-based, think, it, think of it this way. If you've got a choice to make or, or you're in a trial, think of it this way. Think of like you're in, a, in an earthquake, right? And the ground's shaking and you've got to make a choice of, of what solid thing to, to hold on to. Well, a lot of people, if you've ever seen someone in an earthquake, what do they do? They get down on their hands and knees and hold onto the ground. Well, that's the very thing that's shaking. <laughs> what good does that do? Not much. God's saying, look, there's a difference. We can reach up. Now, <laughs> obviously in an earthquake, the analogy falls short because there might be nothing to reach up to hold onto. But it's counterintuitive, just like spiritual wisdom and the wisdom that God has is counterintuitive. We've got to reach up. All right, so what are the, what are the results of reaching down, of holding on to something that's shaking, of something that we can't control, that might be driven to and fro? Well, let's look at verse 16. It says, Where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. See, that's the reality of what's in our hearts. If you look back at um, verse 14, it says we boast and lie about, against the truth. Because the truth is, is that we've got envy and self-seeking in our hearts. It's the reality. I wish I had things that I don't have, right? That's envy. Everybody does that. And if we're not honest enough to admit that we have envy 
and self-seeking in our hearts, then all we're doing is boasting and lying. We're becoming proud. And we'll talk more about that later, but that's one of the things we looked at in the Proverbs class this morning, is there's many traps to pride. And one of them is, is that pride is the, the pinnacle, as it were, of that earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom says, believe in yourself. You're a good person. You've got it in yourself to make good choices and to hold on to things that are good for you and to reach out and grab things that are good for you. But that's not what God says. He says all we do, all we have in our hearts is envy and self-seeking. We want things for our own sakes to make us better. We want that better job. We want more money. We want better social status. We want to be well-recognized in the church. Those are all things that are self-seeking, but they're in all of our hearts. They're in my heart. They're absolutely in my heart. And the Lord diagnoses that like a good doctor. This is what's in our heart. And what does it result in? Well, it results in confusion and every evil thing. You see, when you're trying to hold on to something that's shaking, that's earthly, sensual, and demonic, you're never going to quite know what the right thing to do is. You're going to be confused. What will I do? Who do I trust? Which way do I go? These are all the results of not holding on to the right sort of wisdom. And it says every evil thing is there. But the wisdom that is from above, in contrast, if we're not holding on to the shaking ground, the shaking things of this world, but if we're reaching up to the wisdom that's from above, what are the results of that? Well, it says the wisdom that is from above is first pure. And there's a lot of other things, but I want to, I want to focus on that one for just a second. It's pure. It's not tainted by anything of ourselves, of our own self, of our own nature. It's completely free of all the things that we naturally want. It's pure. It's focused on the Lord. It's peaceable. See, when you get a whole lot of people that are all envious and self-seeking, the last thing you have in the room is peace. Everyone, that, that expression, that dog-eat-dog, dog, right? That doesn't, that's not a peaceable thing. But that's the reality. And this is the opposite. It's gentle and willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So let me, let me draw a picture, if you would. And obviously the best example of someone who exhibited true wisdom and good conduct in his life is the Lord Jesus. And we looked at that a little bit in the Proverbs class this morning with um, that passage from Philippians 2, which is a very good one that talks about how the Lord laid aside all selfish ambition or conceited himself, even his status on the throne as God. And he came down here and took on flesh and served mankind and died for us. And that the verse right behind me, it says that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life ransom for many. So there's an excellent analogy there of the Lord Jesus. But I want to I draw another picture that's maybe a little bit, 
little bit closer to home. I expect a fair number of you have probably been in a community around a person who had some sort of terminal illness or was dying. And uh, if you haven't, maybe someday you'll have the, uh, the blessing of that. Um, I'm not saying that death is a, is a blessing. It's part of the, the broken nature of this world. But if you've ever been part of a community that's helping someone out who has a terminal illness, think about that. See, that it's all focused on the needs of one person. And the people around that one person are completely self-sacrificial to support that person. And maybe some of you have been there. You know, if they need a glass of water, people are just falling over themselves to go get them a glass of water. If they need so much as another pillow behind their back, people are there at their side every moment. And they're absolutely free from even trying to receive thanks from that person that's dying. They're doing it purely in service of that one person. You guys kind of resonate with that? I've, I've been in the honor of, of being able to wait on someone like that, not for an extended period of time. But that's the sort of community that we could have as Christians, not, not because each one of us is in imminent danger of death, but because we have the ability through God's Word and through His Holy Spirit to wait on each other in just exactly as self-sacrificial a manner as those people that are serving the dying person. It's pure and peaceable and gentle and willing to yield. See, when you're, when you're serving that, that person or you're in the community, even the other people in the, in the community that might have had arguments with each other suddenly get over those things. You know, say if it's a if it's a father or mother that's dying, siblings that may not have spoken to each other in years may suddenly ignore whatever it was to serve their parents and in love for their parents. And they start showing love to their siblings and overlooking things that previously were a big deal. Because they're really not. That's where the peace comes in. That community is peaceable. They're willing to yield. Maybe, uh, well, obviously putting, putting someone else's needs before your own is yielding to them, right? You're saying, what I want doesn't matter as much as what you want. Think of how great an example the body of Christ would set if that's what we practiced day in and day out. Not putting our own needs first, but putting other people first. In a, in a completely self-sacrificial way, not even looking for thanks, but being utterly willing to yield to other people's desires. It's full of mercy and good fruit. See, through all this caring and loving and reconciliation towards each other, you get more opportunities to show mercy to each other. And you get more opportunities for the good fruits of righteousness to show, for, show forth. You may have not known that someone was actually as thoughtful and tender-hearted as they're showing themselves to be because you never got to interact with them on that level. You may, you know, 
in the example of a, of a parent that's dying, siblings may come together and talk about things that they haven't talked about in years, that um, maybe there was something selfless that, that one sibling was trying to do for another, but the other sibling didn't recognize it at the time. And then now that they're drawn back together in this community where they're putting all the insignificant things aside, now they have the opportunity to have deeper conversations than they ever had because they've put aside the things that are petty and start focusing on the things that are really significant. They see time as precious as it really is. And so good fruits start being manifest all out of that. And it's a real testimony to other people. And it says, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. See, peace isn't easy. But when you take the time to love and put other people's uh, needs and wants in front of your own, those peaceable actions so show the fruit of peace and the fruit of righteousness, but it has to be made because it doesn't occur naturally. So that's, that's what James is trying to say is, look, we've got two opposing things. We've got the wisdom of this world that's always trying to get us to fight and use one another for leverage to try and get higher. And we've got pride in our own hearts that wants to put ourselves first and to envy what other people have. And it builds up this wall of just little petty things, little petty differences that keep the body of Christ from really, truly being in a close community with each other and really, truly making a deep impact in the world around them. It's things like partiality and hypocrisy that start to creep in that ruin the testimony of the saints. And they're over what we would later see to be just absolutely petty things. But this is, the, this is what James is talking about. It's not a big, grand, you know, stop doing some huge sin like adultery. This is the little things of life, the little decisions that we make every day, the little conversations that we have with people that really, truly show the wisdom of God being present and manifest in your lives. See, if I'm, if I'm going back to the, the issue uh, or the example of your, your life being like your home, a lot of times, Lord, when He saves us, He can remove the, you know, the boulders and the catastrophes from the living room, but there's still a lot of books that aren't quite on the shelf, <laughs> and a lot of papers stuffed in a drawer someplace that the Lord really delights in saying, look, I can reach into every corner of your life. I can make peace everywhere. I can put your whole house in order if we're just willing to listen to Him and to listen to what He says. And if we're just willing to take upon a little bit of humility, which is oftentimes the hardest thing. So, let's look at one more trap before we get into some more of the pa uh, practical takeaways. And I referenced it a little earlier. Um, this is the trap of pride, because it really is what stands in between us and demonstrating the Lord's will in our lives. Picture in your mind, if you would, a group of wise people who know they're wise and they're proud of it. 
The result of wisdom, as we've seen, should be good conduct and helping make people make good choices. But when a group of people get together and they have all the right answers, the trap is they get proud. And the prouder they get, the more concerned they get with their image and being perceived as wise rather than the actual outpouring of their wisdom. And it leads to the image and the perception of the group being more important than the actual community within the group and the actual helping of people that are outside. And it starts to sound a bit like the political system in America where everyone's so concerned with votes and power and being perceived as being on top of of the social game or on top of the political arena that if someone makes a mistake they can't admit it because if they admit it <laughs> well they, they might lose some of their status but then as they cover up more and more mistakes that they've made how much greater is their fall when they're finally exposed and the same is true, or can be true, of the church. You see, we can be so perceived, or so diligent at being perceived as having all the right answers. We've got the book with all the answers. And if we're more concerned with having the answers than sharing the answers, that's completely backwards. If we're more concerned about being perceived as Christian and telling all our friends that we go to church rather than actually showing the love of God to them and sharing the gospel with them, it's completely backwards. We have a tremendous power to help people. We have a tremendous amount of resources, and I'm not just talking about our earthly physical resources to help people with. I'm talking about spiritual resources. In every one of us dwells the Spirit of Christ and the Holy Spirit as well, who wants more than anything else to pour out his love to the world to show, look, I love the world this much. I went to the cross for them. And now we here and now can tell people about that. And what's a little bit of pride to get in the way of the outworking of the love of God? But yet, we can be... An, I'm going to speak from my own experience here. I can be more concerned with not appearing judgmental and proud, and so I don't want to, to offend anyone. And so because of my pride and, and fear of being perceived as judgmental, I'll actually hold back a message that's literally life-saving. And it's all based on pride. And so we need to take a good look in our hearts to start off and say, what, what areas am I proud in? What areas are causing strife or envy or self-seeking that I've got in my own heart? And let me tell you, in preparing for this sermon, I've gone through an awful lot of, of soul-searching, and I hope you guys will too, as a result of what we're looking at today. Because it really does make a difference. It really does make a difference in our lives and the decisions that we make whether we're going to put God first or whether we're going to put ourselves first and whatever we value, whether it's social status or money or anything like that, 
it's often subtle. Sometimes it's just our own comfort. I don't want to be uncomfortable, so I'll not do something that the Lord wants me to do because I just don't want to be uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable speaking to that person. Um, whether it's a coworker or <laughs> or or a homeless person on the street, we can it can be the simple reason of I feel uncomfortable, and so I don't want to do that. And that we're putting a stay on the hold of God, and that's what James is talking about. We need to be meek, as it says in verse thirteen. Wisdom is meek. We're not thinking of ourselves better. We're not putting ourselves first and our own comfort first. Does that person look comfortable? Their life may be miserable. Um, just to share a, a story with you guys. Um, so a lot of you know this last um, Monday, actually, I went down to Texas, took a plane ride there and back. And uh, on my way back, um, I boarded the plane in Phoenix. And uh, the plane was completely full. And I had a, a middle seat. And uh, on, on one side of me was a, um, a, a nice-looking lady from Livermore. And on the other side was, it, was a young mother um, with, a, with a young son who was about one year old, maybe. And uh, I'll just call her name Mary. And uh, so when I, when I went to my seat, Mary had uh, all of her baby's stuff all over all the seats in the row because she was the first one there. And there were still two more people that had to be seated there. And the kid was pitching a fit because he'd already been on the plane for three hours and he wasn't happy about it. And I'm stowing my stuff in the overhead bin thinking, oh no, this is going to be a long flight. <laughs> I'm going to have a screaming baby next to me, right next to me for the entire way. Oh boy. And so I uh, sat down and just kind of politely greeted her and I got myself situated. And uh, then the, the other lady came and sat down next to me. And... Uh, but through the course of the flight, I actually started talking to them both a little bit, you know, just politely. And uh, um, so, but when I turned to this girl, Mary, um, her, her kid was kind of in a temper tantrum. And, and when kids are that little, they don't understand when the pressure changes in an airplane and it hurts their ears. They don't understand what's going on at all. They just they just start screaming. And so he's screaming and throwing things. And every time I get hit with a flying toy, I just you know hand it back, and uh, which happened a lot. And uh, she says to me, you're really good with kids. <laughs> and uh, she says, do you have kids? I said, no. <laughs> she says, are you married? I'm like, no. <laughs> and uh, um, so I started, I started talking to her, and that was just sort of a, a simple entry point into the conversation. And uh, turns out she lives, or used to live in San Jose. She flew to Houston. Um, she told me she had the gift of prophecy. And I was you know, a little, a little taken back by that. Um, and she said the Lord told her to go to Houston. And so she packed up her kid and went to Houston. And uh, so that was about six months ago. And life in Houston went from bad to worse. And I'm guessing that she ran completely out of money. She didn't say so. Um, but she didn't seem very happy about it. And, and so I asked her, I said, uh, so now you're coming back from Houston. You're just coming back for a visit? She says, no, actually, I'm, I'm moving back in with my family. Um, I've, I've got nothing. And she says, I have a lot of anger and bitterness in my heart because I went there thinking that's where the Lord wanted me to be. And now I'm coming back with nothing. And I'm, I'm being forced to live with my family again. I felt bad for her because of the confusion that was in her life, because she didn't truly understand 
what the will of the Lord was. And so I, I got to talk to her and, and kind of have her examine, you know, if she truly was the Lord's or not, and if she truly was listening to the Lord's will. And all it took on my part was handing a couple toys back to her baby for that conversation to open up. But the trap that, that she was in with thinking that she knew the Lord's will and then coming back broken and bitter and angry and destitute should be a warning to us that if we don't properly understand what the Lord's will is, as, as James is saying, that it's foolish. And there's a lot of pain that can come out of a situation where you're not actually following the Lord's will, but you think you are. And there's a, a verse in, uh, in Ephesians. I'm going to turn there real quick. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. That's not Ephesians. What do we got here? Okay. And it's, I'm going to start in Ephesians 5, verse 15. And it says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And that's really what I want to bring out in, in 517. Don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. See, what we're talking about today, that spiritual wisdom, it comes from knowing and understanding what the will of the Lord is. And it's, it's broader than just you know, the Lord's will for where you should live or what job you should have or who you should marry. There's a lot more to the Lord's will than that. The Lord has all sorts of things that He says are His will. For example, the fruits, demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit, that gentleness, self-control, all those other things that the Lord uh, lists off. I don't have a, a list right out, right, written out right here in front of me. But all those things are part of the will of the Lord. It's our character before the Lord it's following His Word, living according to the example that Jesus set before us. That's the will of God. What else is part of the will of God? Well, the Great Commission is also part of the will of God. If, uh, you know, going, going back to that, that um, illustration of, you know, someone who's terminally ill, there's a, there's a special emphasis placed on the last request of a dying person, Right? Well, Jesus isn't dead, but he did make one last request before he left the earth. He said, go into the nations and preach the gospel. And start in Jerusalem, then go to Samaria, and then all the ends of the earth. And here we are in Fremont, which is a long way from the Mount of Olives. And we're still carrying out Jesus' last wish. That's part of the will of God, too. So all these things that the Lord is calling us to be wise in, whether it's part of our daily conduct with each other, gracious speech, speaking the truth in love, living peaceably with each other, whether they're inside the church or out, filling the Great Commission and sharing the gospel with people who need to hear it. Because guess what? They're dying, too. The people around us who don't, know the, who don't know the Lord are spiritually dead 
and they're physically dying. And just like someone who's on their deathbed, they desperately need for us to give up a little bit of our own selves and to reach out to them because they're helpless and hopeless. And it's not our power that we're reaching out with. All we're doing is opening ourselves out for the Lord to work in their hearts. See, if it was dependent on us or, or a stranger book that's written down, that's not enough. It might be good. It might be good tools to use. But the reality of it is, like it says in Romans 1.16, the gospel of Christ is the power of God to everyone who believes. To everyone. And we are the bearers. We are the people that get to go that precious power of God and give it to other people. But we can't do that unless it changes our own lives first. And that's why we're called to live together, as James calls us, to live together in the meekness of wisdom and demonstrate the, uh, the fruit of righteousness that's sown in peace by those who make peace. So what's, um, what's another mark of a wise person? Well, we've talked a little bit about this already, um, but there's a quote from C.S. Lewis that's really stuck with me over the last month. And C.S. Lewis said, Humility is not thinking less of yourself and trying to siphon pride. I'm paraphrasing here. It's, it's not siphoning pride out of yourself. But um, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. See, so oftentimes we think, I need to be humble. I'm going to squash down feelings of myself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bury it all and have an honest opinion of myself. And that's still focused inwards, still focused on ourselves, even though we're trying to squash down ourselves, and it's, it's like trying to you know, push yourself down by the top of your head. You're not really doing anything. But it's not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of others more. It's not debasing yourself and making yourself appear to be less than you really are. Who you really are is part of the body of Christ and dwelled by the Holy Spirit, person who's following the will of God. That's who you really are. You've got the whole power of God behind you. Don't think less of yourself in terms of trying to push yourself down, but think of yourself less in terms of serving others. A wise person takes time to make their sacrifices for other people, and they do it quietly in meekness without, oh, this is what I did for this person, or here's how much time I spent helping this other person move. Or, this is how much money I spent helping this person get a new car whose car broke down. See, it's not about that. Humility, humility is quiet. It's in the quiet acts. It's in, it's in the demonstration of love in a marriage where the marriage has gone on for 30, 40, 50 years, where people have quietly stuck with it and made sacrifices for a long time. And that doesn't receive a whole lot of fanfare in this world because that's against the worldly wisdom, that demonic thing that says, stay with someone as long as they make you feel good. It's against the wisdom that says, you know, do things 
for, for status. Marry someone rich so you'll have someone lots of money. That's not what marriage is about. Marriage is about quietly and faithfully serving one another, even as Christ loves and serves the church. That's our example. And that's, that's true wisdom from above. So as we look at that, that household of our own lives, we can see it's the quiet, it's the little things that make all the, all the difference, that really show to other people. If you don't think your marriage is a testimony to other people, make a few more sacrifices and wait a few more years and see what people notice. I have my own parents to thank for a, you know, a loving example of marriage for over 30 years now. That's a testimony, and they don't get a whole lot of thanks for that, and there's other people here in this assembly that have been married longer than that. But God looks at that and says, well done. Well done. God looks at people who come here to the assembly and serve the saints, whether it's in the, in the kitchen or doing yard work around the chapel or putting touch-up paint on a few places that got nicked, or uh, putting new weather stripping on the front door. He looks at all that and he says, there's a quiet, humble sort of love that does everyone good, that builds the body up. God looks at the people who answer those phone calls where someone's having a rough day and just needs someone to talk to. It's not big things, it's little things. They make a world of difference. There's also an exhortation in being willing to yield and full of mercy in that, in that trap of pride that I want to speak to for a minute. A lot of people feel like, even as they're part of the body of Christ, that if they have an issue or a problem, they're called to fix it just between them and the Lord. And there's a lot of power in relying on the Lord and letting His Word speak into your heart and spending time in prayer before Him. But there's also an amazing thing that the Lord has given us called the church that's a body for our edification. And the Lord is glorified when we grab another brother or sister and say, hey, look, I'm having an issue here. I could really use some help. Because that gives them the opportunity to demonstrate some wisdom and love of their own. And when you don't ask for help, you're denying someone the opportunity to show love to be sacrificial before the Lord. And if you don't ask for help, as we looked at earlier this morning, it's just pride. It's just pride. It's what we have to get rid of. There's been a lot of times that I haven't asked for help or for counsel or for prayer that I should have. But there's been times that I have, and I've been really blessed by it. good to pray for one another. For those of you who faithfully attend the prayer meeting, you know some of the struggles that the saints go through. And thank you for demonstrating that love towards everyone here. And if you don't come to the prayer meeting, know that you've been prayed for. You have. bit humbling even to speak up in a prayer meeting sometimes and say, this is what I need. 
but just that speaking up, maybe we're not asking for requests for ourselves. Maybe we're asking for requests for our family members who are unsaved and need, need to understand the love of God. That honors God. That's according to His will. He wants people to be saved, as we talked about earlier. And if you're sitting here in the audience this morning and you don't know what the will of the Lord is and you haven't bent the knee and accepted Christ this morning, well, know one thing about the will of God that you really need. God's will for you, His first and most powerful asking and begging of you, is that you'll accept Him. Because He wants to love you. He wants to change your life. He wants you to overcome your pride and any resistance you have in your heart and thinking that your life is okay, you've got this by yourself. It's not, that's earthly wisdom, that's demonic. And if, we, if we're sitting here this morning resisting the will of the Lord in our hearts, all you're holding on to is that shaking ground in the earthquake. And there's a bigger reality, a reality that we can reach up and experience the love of God. See, this girl Sarah on the plane who thought she was going to Houston in the will of God, she had no real clue what God's will for her was. None at all. And she was just getting more and more bitter. And believe me, she knew the Bible. She quoted Bible verses to me that I haven't heard anyone quote here even in this assembly. She knew, she read the Word of God as, as diligently uh, as she possibly could, but she still didn't understand the love of God for her. She thought that she had to have her life together in her own strength. And she lived in terror of not going to heaven. She told me that she wasn't sure she was going to heaven. And if you're not sure, if you're experiencing the same terror as this girl Sarah was, well, you've got an opportunity to fix that. You don't have to walk out of here today not knowing what God wants for you. Here it is. This is what God wants for you. Humble yourself and come before Him and admit your sin. Admit that you've made mistakes. Admit that you need a sovereign Lord of your life to guide it. Because what's in our heart, the reality of it is always pride and self-seeking. That's always what's there. And all it's going to get us is damnation. Trust the Lord. And for the believers here, I have a challenge as well. And a lot of you are already doing this and are to be commended for how faithfully you do this. But my challenge is, find out what the needs of one person in this assembly are and take the opportunity to demonstrate the good conduct that comes from real wisdom. See, we have all the answers, but that's just knowledge. Wisdom is living it out. And so, even if it's only to take time to ask someone what you can pray for them for, and then actually doing it, that's simple enough. Maybe it's, uh, you can take someone out for dinner this week and just spend time with them. It's not about the food. It's not about spending money. It's about fellowship. It's about building one another up. And, you know, even if all you can afford is Taco Bell, well, that's humble. That's humble. But it makes a difference. 
because we're called to build one another up. That's part of the will of God too. So take the opportunities this week to demonstrate humility and good conduct. James is laying down a challenge, just like he's challenged us to control our tongues and to live out our faith. So here's the challenge from verse 13. If you're wise and understanding, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Work out your faith. Work out your wisdom. Take advantage of what the Lord's giving you and see how much difference it can make. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your example of putting your own of putting our needs before your own, putting your own life out there utterly sacrificially to even to the point of the cross and to spreading your arms out and dying for us. Lord, we will never be able to demonstrate the love that you demonstrated, but we can demonstrate your love. We can demonstrate your love to the world around us. And I pray, Lord, that we would examine our own hearts and see where, what areas we can overcome our pride or our envy or our self-seeking and lay those things aside and demonstrate, Lord, the good conduct, the peaceable, pure wisdom that comes from above. Lord, may we follow your example. May we go out this week as better people for your word. Thank you for the book of James. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.